So um, this section of uh, Isaiah in particular begins in chapter 24 and goes to chapter 27. And by and large, it's concentrating on what is going to take place during the millennial reign. So as Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom on earth and the things that are going to be taking place during that time, some of it is expressed poetically. Other things are expressed very literally as to what uh, the earth is going to look like and what his kingdom is going to look like. So um, we're, we're sort of in the midst of that. It began in chapter 24. And now in Isaiah chapter 26 at verse 1, it says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulk works. Now, to begin with, um, I'm a person that, you know, I prefer the wilderness and the countryside and the peace and the quiet. Uh, cities uh, don't have a lot of long-term interest for me. I, I like going there, but, you know, the, the idea of living there is, you know, not something I'm particularly interested in. Um, now, I just saying that I want to be clear that the scripture is not opposed to cities. God is not opposed to cities. Uh, we're waiting for his city to arrive here. Okay. So, uh, you know, th this concept uh, we want to be careful of because there, there are people, especially interestingly enough, inside Christianity that have the mentality that no, uh, we as believers should get away from people. We should seek isolation. We should, you know, want to be alone. Okay, well, here are some concepts. Uh, Proverbs tells us the man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all sound judgment. Okay, uh, the thing that's going to show you what's wrong with you, uh, not that I know there is, it's, it's just what I've heard about you. So anyway, you know, um, the thing that's going to show you what's wrong with you is being around other people. Okay? When we often are thinking, I just got to get away from these people, I can't stand them. Usually, somewhere in the root of that is actually what's wrong with us. You know, I had a conversation recently with a man who told me, I've just really begun to pray that God would give me patience. And I said, oh, man, you might want to really reconsider that prayer. And he was like, why? I said, well, how do you expect that God is going to give you patience? And he begins to describe that he just expects it's going to sort of magically show up. And I said, no, 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 that's not guaranteed. That is not how it's going to arrive for you. What God is going to do is perhaps if he's really kind and gracious, he's going to unleash on you very slowly things that test your patience. If he wants to show you how weak you are and how incapable of being patient you are, he'll just open the floodgate. And you'll be pulling your hair out in about three seconds, wishing it would all end. And what you discover in that moment is, I have no patience. See, it is being around people. You know, man's cities, man's designs, they're all incredibly flawed, unthinkably sinful. God has a perfect plan. So when he puts this concept forward, that in the millennium, the people are going to sing about their strong city. God has a strong city for us. And it's going to be about fellowship. where We're going to want to serve one another. Our, our selfishness, because of the presence and the power of His Holy Spirit working in us, our selfishness will disappear. And we will be concerned for one another's needs. We will care for, I'm such a country bumpkin. I go to this city, I make people nervous. 
You know, I'll, I'll like step in front of women, grab the door handle to open it for them, and they go right in, you know, into defensive posture, like, you know, just get in the door for you, ma'am. Who you calling, ma'am? You know, I just, just I'm in a different environment. Pe- people in those settings of sinful nature don't have that concept at all. Okay? In the city of God, the strong city that he's preparing, everyone is going to have this attitude of serving one another. That's a glorious thing. That's going to be a beautiful thing. God is preparing all of this. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulk works. Open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter. He gives entrance in the millennial reign to the nations that will submit to him. Now, be clear. You're going to see some of it as we move forward. There are going to be nations on earth that actually are dumb enough to oppose him. And I do mean that. And he is going to crush them. He's going to call all the nations to report before him and give account of themselves. The leadership and the peoples and the representation. And he will judge them according to their past submission and their present submission. Right In his millennial reign, there are going to be people that survive the tribulation and enter into the millennial reign of Jesus Christ intact. And they're going to be called to come and report before him. Now, if they've been rebellious to him in the past and suddenly recognize the God of all creation has now set up his throne on earth and I must go report to him. If they come in humility, he will accept them. Even for their past failures, forgiveness and grace is always the earmark of our God. For those that dare resist, even those that refuse to show up, will receive their just punishment. God is going to bring these things back. So the gates will be opened for the righteous. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That is a a profound verse in all of the scripture. That That is one worthy of the refrigerator for a long time. You know, you can couple verse 4 with it. Trust in the Lord forever, for Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. Now, I always like to clarify the term Yah because God's name in the Old Testament is Yahweh. And I, and I, I shouldn't say it that way. We don't know what it, the letters are, Y-H-W-H. And uh, the Jews, um, no consonants in their ancient language, uh, the way that consonants, or no vowels, I mean, uh, the, the way that consonants were arranged told them where the, fa- the vowel sounds should be. So when they came to YHWH, there were vowel sounds in God's name, but the Jews considered his name to be so holy that they wouldn't pronounce it. If they were reading a text and came to a point uh, here in your Bible, uh, verse uh, 4 of chapter 26, for in Yah the Lord, notice that's all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's what we would call the tetragrammation. God's name, Yahweh, or Y-H-W-H, occurred there. The Jews, when they would read this, and I've said this a few times, forgive me for being repetitious, trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the name is everlasting strength. That's how they would have read it. They wouldn't have even tried to pronounce his name. It was so holy, so sacred, they would just say the name at that point. And as a result, centuries passing without ever pronouncing Y-H-W-H, knowing how the vowel sounds would occur, the, the proper pronunciation was lost, which actually fits into the Lord's Prayer. Because Jesus said, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The term hallowed means to be so holy that it is secret and beyond understanding. Hallowed be your name, right? So it's interesting. Anyway, uh, Yah is the shortened version of Yahweh. So the Jews would often refer to 
God, their God, Yah, the God of Israel. So there's your long explanation. Coupling verse 3 and 4 together, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. The verses that popped to mind immediately for me, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Uh, you, you think about Jesus in John 15 saying, Abide in me and you will have much fruit. So many people that are believers don't fix their mind on God. And I mean fix their mind on God. They they know of God. They they speak of God. I mean, they even allow their mind to be affected by God, right? I mean, we're all here this evening. God has affected your mind somehow. You decided to come to church, and here you sit. The person who is, wants this steadfastness, this perfect peace, you've got to have your mind permanently fixed upon God. If it's not, if you're just occasionally touching upon God, right? Things get difficult. You know what? I ought to reach out to this whole God way of thinking. And there you go. And it does. It provides a peace in the moment, but you lift your mind from that. It, it's, it's all a struggle for the mind. Paul tells us in the New Testament, in describing the warfare, right? We throw these terms around, spiritual warfare, right? We know the verses, right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the world, but they are mighty through God. They're pulling down a stronghold. Casting down imagination, right? And taking into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's for the mind. The, the spiritual warfare, the struggle is for the mind. Inevitably, you guys, when I have watched our enemy just wreak havoc on people's lives, tear apart churches. When I dig into that and start helping people try to understand what happened here, you find inevitably people's thought processes got corrupted. Their mind was not stayed upon the truth of God's word. Oh, the circumstances, the opinions, the people. They said this, that made me think that. Now the mind begins to wind into places that it doesn't belong. You want the perfect peace that comes from God? Fix your mind upon Him. Fix your mind upon Him. Forget all the circumstances. You know, <laughs> I've become very accustomed to waking up first thing in the morning and going right to the Word in order to align my mind to where it needs to be. If I give the, you know moments, hours, portion of the start of my day to just life and its circumstances, oh, it's downhill from there. You know, Gail Irwin, if you haven't read his books, heard his sermons, just write that name down, Gail Irwin. The Jesus style, you know, the Father style, the Jesus style, the Spirit style. Great books. You know, he was the first pastor I ever heard say, you know, I, I wake up every morning, look in the mirror and say, aha, I've met the enemy. You know, there he is. You're staring back at yourself. You, you know, you got to get yourself to where your heart and mind and life is fixed on him if you're going to experience this perfect peace. Verse 5, for he brings down those who dwell on high. The lofty city, he lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. So those that would, in pride, lift themselves up against God. You know, he just said, there's a strong city for those who trust in him, but those who would elevate themselves above God or against God, they're going to be experiencing the bringing low. So low, verse 6, the foot shall tread it down, the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. You know, not even, you know, great kings or conquering warriors, just the impoverished people will trample it when it's all done. The way 
of the just is uprightness. O oh, most upright. You weigh the path of the just. When our heart and mind is fixed upon the Lord, then he directs our path, as we read in Proverbs. We commit our ways to him. Yes, in the way of your judgment, O oh Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. The more that you get to know the Lord and walk in his word and in fellowship with him, the more you discover that that's what you desire and what you desire for others. You know, what began, and that's sort of human design, what began, you know, as sort of a, um, a wedding of the appetite, as the scripture says, you know, come and taste and see that, you know, the ways of the Lord are good. You know, it, it, it needs to become an obsession. Yeah, you know, I, uh, you know, working with drug addicts and alcoholics, you know, th there is this poisonous mentality amongst a lot of, uh, you know, rehab organizations of uh, moderation. You know, just you got to learn to just be moderate. And all the, the, the you know, the, the implication is. You know, you used to be this radical, crazy drug addict, alcoholic, and you just your problem was you're too radical. You need, you need to just learn to become moderate. Okay, that I, I'll tell you as a crazy, radical drug addict and alcoholic who was delivered. That's not true. It was not moderation that I needed to learn. What I needed to learn was I am radical. And what I need to be radical about is Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know, I can't, I can't just, you know, make it over the safe zone line and live in the contentment of, you know, having escaped that which was bad. There's that idea, right? That, you know, if if I'm not doing horrible things, then that equals I'm doing good things. <laughs> It's not true. I have to be a person who goes full on the other direction. That's the way my life is. And I think that is that way for most people. You know, I mean, <clears throat> look, you're like, I was never like that. Were you obsessed with your career? <laughs> Were you obsessed with your car? Were you obsessed with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, right? Was there something that compelled you? I... Shared many times, I met Pat Farnsworth years ago. Pat started Pat's Pizza. And the night that I met him, I, he's passed away now. He would never remember me. But I just happened to be in his home, in his garage. And Pat is standing there with his old-timer jackknife, you know, folded open. And he's taking these gladiola bulbs and he's peeling them until he gets just that nice white clear pearly bulb and he's setting the ones he's peeled over here and there's a mound in the corner that's up the wall and he's peeling shucking these and after a minute i realized like this guy is going to stand here and peel all of these you just i mean if you'd seen what i saw you would have did what i did which was to say are you going to peel all of these by hand and he says yes my next question was wow like you get thousands of these here. How many how many bulbs do you think you have here? And he said, no hesitation, twenty thousand. You're gonna peel twenty thousand bulbs by hand? Yes. Okay. Two questions. Why are you gonna peel them all by hand? And how do you know that there's twenty thousand here? And he said, Well, they're in this cluster, and very often there'll be a bad bulb in that, and that can cause the one next to it to rot. So you you peel them open and you plant each bulb individually so you don't waste any. And he said, I planted 10,000 last year and they double every year, so there's 20,000 here. <laughs> so then I said, well, you know, why are you doing this? Like you're in business selling gladiolas? And he said, no, I just like them in all my restaurants. 
fresh gladiolas when Pat was alive, fresh gladiolas in all of his restaurants daily. Right? Obsessed. Obsessed. You got stuff you're obsessed with. I've hung out with some of you and seen it. We all have our thing. Obsessed with God. See, it isn't, it isn't that, oh, I need to stop being obsessed. No, that's actually, follow me in this, that's worship. What the whole of humanity has is a worship disorder. We were designed to worship God. And when we're not, we're going to worship something else. You're going to be obsessed with something else. You know, the nuance, the minutia of your business, your career, your studies, your just, you know, your gun cabinet, your what, your truck, your whatever. You know, you may have a very small obsession, right? I have a friend, uh, he'll hate that I, I'll, I'll just name him by first name, Jason, right? Obsessed with cleanliness, obsessed. Let me borrow his truck a couple times. I am not obsessed with cleanliness. So I would always leave a little McDonald's in his truck. You know what I'm saying? Just a bag with a few fries and a crumpled up just stuck in a corner somewhere. Just I didn't make a mess of his truck. Just got to leave him a little thing that, you know, when he pulls it out, he's mumbling and grumbling about Will leaving stuff behind. He's a believer, a good brother. Just, we have our obsession, do we not? You know, keep your obsession about some things if it's not ungodly, but make sure Jesus is a bigger obsession. That your focus in worship is where it belongs, the desire of your soul, for your name, and for the remembrance of you. My, with my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes. By my spirit within me, I seek you early, day and night. Right? We say, I'm more of a morning guy. Oh, I'm not really a morning guy. I just, you know, I don't care what you are. Be obsessed all day, would you? Be a morning and a night guy. Morning, noon, and night is what David said. And the hours of prayer to be there. Yes, by my spirit within me, I seek you early when your judgments are on the earth and the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Let, be, let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Think about this. I'll remind us again. This is referring to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying here, the Spirit is saying to us, that during the millennial reign, there will be people that will be experiencing God's grace full force and still will not be able to accept it. Still will not be able to embrace it. That, listen, that should be a sort of strange encouragement to you right now in life. Because are there not those people that you're trying to share with and they just don't get it? Well, we're not even in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ where His righteousness fills the earth as the seas are filled with water. We're, we're in a place right now of struggle and corruption and difficulty. And when you share with people, it's amazing how you just show them all the truth of the Lord and they're like, wow. And then the next time you talk to them, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like their mind has been erased somehow. They just can't grasp. Well, so it is. God, show them the grace. They're not going to get it. Lord, your hand is lifted up. They will not see it. Or did I read 10? Let your grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness, right? Verse 11. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see it, but they will see and be ashamed for their envy of people. Yes, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. Um, the idea of God's hand being lifted up twofold. One, we read earlier in Isaiah how the Lord will lift his hand up in blessing. Okay, There's also the idea throughout the book of Isaiah of God's hand being lifted up in wrath. 
that the hand is going to come down. The unrighteous don't recognize either one. Right? When his hand is lifted up, when we do not deserve God's graciousness, his love, his provision, the unbeliever doesn't recognize the great blessing and abundance they're receiving from God. You know, people that live wickedly and have wonderful lives, aren't they annoying? They, they have no idea that God is being so gracious with them right now. They look at it like, you know, somehow they're producing that in their own lives. Jesus saying in the New Testament, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. To farmers, rain is crucial. If you're a Middle Eastern farmer, rain is necessary. You had to have the rain. And, and these religious leaders are mad. They're angry. They're looking at that man over there. Look, he's very wicked. He owns all that land. And yet, look how fruitful his crops are. He's wealthy. And they're, they're looking at it like, I'm over here living all righteous and you know avoiding all these sinful things, and I'm getting the same thing he's getting. They, they viewed that as unjust. Here, the Lord is saying that even when his hand of blessing is extended over the wicked, they're not going to recognize, I don't deserve this. When his hand is lifted up in punishment and wrath and about to come down upon them, they don't even recognize, they don't see it coming. You guys, you know, people mock the Scripture. Here's something to think about. Remember I said this. Write this down. Make note of it in your mind. Something. Ezekiel chapter 38. Right? For those of us that are more serious about the Scripture, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Gog and Magog are going to come down out of the north. Simply put, Satan is going to lead Russia to be inspired to come down out of the north with a conglomeration of Islamic nations to attack Israel and try to destroy them. The Lord even says, I'm going to set a hook into Magog's jaw and draw, drag him down into this conflict. For years, we've been saying, literally thousands of years, that prophecy has been in the book, and we've been saying the day is coming where that's going to take place where Russia is going to come down with a confederacy of these Islamic nations and attack Israel, try to destroy them, and they're going to get wiped out in the process. Right now, and, that, and that's one of the last things, especially when you consider some of the things that are said in correspondence with it about how Israel is going to recognize Jesus, the one whom they pierced, right, in the process. So it seems that they're going to, Israel in that moment is going to, uh, recognize Jesus as their Messiah and their Savior. Okay. Up until five years ago, you know, people often think of Israel as this great oil nation and this great, you know, uh, propane or, or not propane, but natural gas. And up until five years ago, they didn't have these resources. They, they there was not much drilling that went on there. Tourism was their number one leading industry. Agriculture was number two. And agriculture is huge in Israel. They're the third largest producer of food in the world, you guys. Okay. Uh, that's, you know, uh, you know, it goes, it goes America, Russia, Israel. Israel is a little smaller than Rhode Island. Okay, think about the vast acreage of America and Russia. Israel is the third largest producer of food in the world. They have two 747s that are owned by the Israeli government that are uh, fitted out as cargo planes that are filled every single day with flowers that are harvested from Israel and flown to the Netherlands. Daily, they are selling two 747 loads as a nation of flowers to Holland, the land of flowers. Okay? Five years ago, they began a process of drilling offshore and in the Golan Heights, and they discovered the largest oil reserves and gas fields in the world. 
trillions of cubic meters of natural gas. The Golan Heights, up until last week, belonged to Syria. Israel has been in conflict and in war with them. And Russia has been supporting Syria in the current civil war. And part of that is to reclaim the Golden Heights. 1967, the Islamic nations surge and try to destroy Israel. Israel retaliates. God blesses them. They drive Syria back over the border and they take the Golan Heights from Syria and they put a demilitarized zone and a new border and say, you stay on that side. And they keep that territory. It has been referred to, I said last week, up until this week, it has been referred to up until this week as Israeli-occupied Syrian territory. This week, the United States, Donald Trump was the first to declare it Israeli territory. That now belongs to Israel. Now follow this. This is significant. Because if you, right, if we invade Canada right now, they need it. I'm joking. But anyway, if we invade Canada, anything that is there, I'm totally joking. I'm just being stupid. If we invade Canada, anything that is there in existence, we are allowed to use as resources during the time that we occupy that territory, according to the rules of war. If there are oil fields, we can use them. If there are gas refineries, we can use them. We can even improve those structures and those circumstances and use them as our own. If we go in there, invade, take over that territory, and then start drilling for oil, that's a war crime. Any nation that helps us drill is also guilty of war crime. Israel has been drilling in the Golan Heights using American companies in the Golan. If it's not going to be a war crime, we have to make it Israeli, Israeli territory. So they just did that this week. What do you think Russia is going to say about that? Russia, which has the largest, the largest natural gas distribution and refineries in the world, supplies all of Europe with its natural gas. You think Vladimir Putin is just going to sit back and let that happen without some? I'll be amazed, right? Right? Russia does not want Israel's flowers. You following me? Russia does not want Israel's tourism. They don't care about the ancient city of David. Trillions of cubic meters of natural gas, oh, they're very interested in that. The hook, I believe, has been set in the jaw. And I believe they're going to be drawn down out of the north. The conflict grows. Benjamin Netanyahu is probably, look, I understand all of the conflict surrounding all of these things. I'm not trying to point at any one side. What I'm pointing at is the truth of God's word and how these things are going to be fulfilled. Okay, Benjamin Netanyahu is one of the most staunch supporters and defenders of Israel in all of its history. Okay. Right now, the newly developed Blue Party, which is very liberal, is trying to unseat him from power. Because they want to let the nation go the way of the world. They don't want the Israeli independence the way he has fought for. You get rid of Benjamin Netanyahu and you're going to watch things collapse between them and all of the surrounding nations. So they're trying to discredit him, trying to get him out of office, trying to turn these things. This is all angling for the fulfillment of what we see written in the scriptures, particularly Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. When the Lord is talking about these things happening right here that we're seeing take place, 
the, the world doesn't recognize it. Doesn't understand the clarity of what's being said in God's word. Mocks the things that are being, these things are going to take place. Guarantee it. Every single thing that's been written in the scripture this way does take place. The enemies don't understand when God's hand is lifted up in blessing or when his wrath is about to come. And they suffer and are devoured as a process. Verse 12, Lord, you will establish peace for us. No man, no country, no government, God will establish peace for us. For you have also done all our works in us. It's as though Isaiah is reading the New Testament, right? We're saved by grace, right? Not of works, lest any man should boast that we could fulfill, he could, excuse me, he could fulfill his good works in us. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Old Testament God working in his saints. You will establish peace for us. You have also done all our works in us. Whatever goodness is in you belongs to God, not you. You in and of yourself, right? What did Jeremiah tell us? The heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who can know it? It's a treacherous thing, our sinful existence. 13, O Lord, our God, masters, besides you have had dominion over us, but by you only we make mention of your name. You've delivered us from all those things, those obsessions, those false sense of worship. They are dead. They will not live. They are deceased. They will not rise. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. The second death, right? Everyone dies. Those that don't know the Lord experience his eternal judgment and they're sent to hell, literally. The second death, right? Jesus has that conflict with the religious leaders saying, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, indicating Abraham is alive. While his physical frame has died, he's eternally alive in the presence of the Lord. Life. We have life as believers. The world, they're already dead. They're as good as dead. Already. Eternally dead. Right? We were dead in our sins, in our trespasses, until Christ redeemed us. This is the message of Isaiah here in the moment. They'll not rise, not to life. You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have expanded all the borders of the land. Lord, in trouble, they have visited you. They poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them. As a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs, when she draws near to the time of her delivery, so have we been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. You know, nothing, no child. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. They haven't, they haven't come to these things. You know, the New Testament talking about how all of creation groans in pain. You know, in hopeful expectation of the fulfillment of all of these things. Our frustration in life, I mean, I don't know about you. you just, I'm sure you've all had days where it just all seems to go wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, having raised, you know, three daughters, there, there was a book, many books along the way. You know, there was a book called Alexander's Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Did you guys ever have Alexander's book? Did you ever read that? Yeah. It's just a little kid book, and it's funny, and it just helps children understand difficulties. And in the end, Alexander's summary is, everything is so bad, I'm moving to Australia. Yeah. Haven't you felt like that? Like, just, there's got to there's gotta be an end to this. How could, how could it go any worse? And no sooner has that floated out of your mouth, and it gets worse, you know. The idea that, 
you know, what we're experiencing in pain, in difficulty, in challenge, that's an evidence that we were not designed to experience this. God did not intend for us to experience these things. And there is a coming day where all of that pain will be lifted from us. Where he will rule and reign on this earth and we will get to experience that fulfillment. The beautiful thing is, you guys, we can experience that even now. Right? I mean, some of you are more familiar with what I've been going through personally than others of you, right? I, uh, you know, I'm still healing up. I'm still very weak from a condition, uh, leukocytoclastic vasculitis. Just go look that up and freak yourself out when you see what's going on. It, it's been horrendous. You know, I, I, uh, I was sick and boarded a plane to go to Israel and my right leg swelled up like a sausage, you know, just couldn't move, couldn't walk. You get to Israel, supposed to be experiencing all this magnificent tour and history, and instead I'm in, you know, a hotel room, you know, icing my leg, taking Benadryl, you know, elevated above my heart, and it gets so bad, you know, I entered the country on the third, gets so bad on the fifth, I have to go to the hospital. You know, in Israel, they give me a bunch of, medication and you know go through all their process and things start to improve and i think yeah like you know on the seventh it's a light day we're going to drive to the top the mount of beatitudes and just walk down over this little hill it'll be wonderful i get to the bottom of the hill both my legs are swollen up you know back to the hospital more treatment you know, all my friends are like sending me messages about this is so horrible. I can't believe this is happening to you. You know, you just, I had settled into a place. Don't get me wrong, my heart was tormented, but you know, you turn to the Lord in prayer, and then you just realize, like, well, how bad is it, man? I mean, I'm in Israel. That's the Sea of Galilee right there. You know what I'm saying? I I, I here I am with my Bible. <laughs> it's whatever. I'm in the city of Magdala. This is the town that Mary Magdalene is from. You know what I'm saying? Jesus held a Bible study right there on that hill. <laughs> Big deal. You know, yeah, my heart is tormented. Yeah, I don't want to go through these things. Since November, it's just been a living. People have literally come to me and been like, man, you are going through the trials of Job. Thanks. <laughs> and I have been. It's been intense. But you know what? God is good. God is good. And now that I've said this, tomorrow will be worse. Watch. Right? What do I? I don't control the future. I don't hold these things in my hand. All I, all I can do as a testimony to you in the midst of the struggle is sit and say, God is good. He is, right? My goodness, you guys. You know, think about this. How about this? No show of hands, just in your mind. Probably most of us have spare change in our pockets right now, right? A couple bucks in your wallet, a few coins in your pocket. Do you understand that you are in the top 10%, the top 10% of the wealthy in the world? 90% of the world's population has never had a single coin to spare in their entire life. A family in four in Vietnam right now, a family of four in Vietnam right now, lives on $1,400 a year. They live in a single room shack. This is on average. They eat four ounces of meat a day as a family a family we are we have it so good you guys so good it is it is the comfort and ease of our lifestyle that causes us to look at whatever boo boo we've currently got and whine like it's the end of the world the reason this country is so blessed we are so wealthy and we are so well off is because when this country was founded, it was founded by men who worshiped Jesus Christ. That's what led to the great prosperity that is here. 
we are so blessed. And the blessing that is coming forth, we are you know, experiencing these birth pains, the torment, the trials, the struggles, the death, the injustice that is all around us. Our hearts break over it. There is a coming day where the Lord is going to deliver. Your dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall rise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. For your dew is like the dew of the herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. There is a day where all of the dead will be raised to stand before God and experience judgment. There, there is the great white throne judgment where the sea is going to give up its dead and the earth is going to give up its dead and every grave will burst open and everyone who has ever lived will stand before God according to the book of Revelation. And they will be judged. And when they are judged, the righteous, and, and let's be clear again, righteousness comes from God, not because I'm better than you. That doesn't fit into the equation at all. Righteousness is accomplished by Jesus Christ alone. That's it. We experience righteousness by accepting it as a gift. Jesus Christ came and as a perfect being died as though he were a sinner. Right? The wages of sin is death. We have a day where we're going to receive a paycheck for the sins that we have committed. Death will be issued to us. Here's the beautiful thing. We don't have to cash it. Jesus Christ has offered to step in and take that for us because he's strong enough to experience death and survive it. Literally, died on the cross and raised himself back to life. Substitutionary atonement, right? There are certain paychecks we want. There are certain paychecks we do not want. We don't want what's coming to us, right? You'll hear people often say that, I want justice. No, you really don't. No, you really don't. You really want to be paid back for all the wrong you've ever done? I don't. I do not. Maybe you're better than me. So what? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One single sin separates you for all of eternity. The dead will be raised. And here the prophet is saying, you know, with me, and they will sing. They will awake from the dust. You know, like a newness, this dew is going to cause you know them to be new and alive. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your door behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood, and will no more cover her slain. A couple things there. This is probably two of the most pointed Old Testament pre-tribulation rapture verses that there are. Okay. God's wrath. And people talk about, oh, you know, Jesus said that in this world you're going to experience Tribulation. Yeah, Jesus said that in this world we would experience persecution and tribulation from our enemy, right? And from our enemies, plural. Satan himself hates believers. All those who that have rejected God also have a certain degree of animosity towards believers. So we're going to experience trials and persecution and difficulty in this life from that realm right there is a coming day where god's wrath is going to be poured out the tables are going to be turned rather than jesus called satan lucifer the god of this world 
Romans 6.16 says, who you obey, that is your master, right? God creates Adam and Eve, puts them in the garden, and they are obeying him. So God, creator of this earth, is their master. Satan shows up and says to Eve, did God actually say you can't eat of that tree? That's a lie. I'm paraphrasing. He says, go ahead and eat of the tree. You will not die. She obeys him. And we're all plunged into sin. Who you obey is your master. They obeyed Satan. Jesus said, Satan's the God of this world. That's why all this horrible stuff is going on. This is his realm. right? And what he does is he causes horrible things to happen and then he blames it on God, right? If there's a loving God, then why did my mom you know, pass away? I prayed and prayed that my dad would not die. I prayed and prayed that my you know, little niece would not have that illness. And yet, it's not God's fault. Two to blame, Satan and the human race for following him. There's a coming day where God is going to remove the church. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. He's going to pull the church off the earth, and he's going to pour his wrath out upon the earth. This just told us that he's going to hide those that belong to him during that process. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is passed. Mark down there somewhere, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Because John, in the book of Revelation, hears Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, to write the things which he has seen, write the things which are, and to write the things metatauta that will take place after this. And then he's told, now write seven letters to the churches. And he writes seven letters to the churches. The, t- the phrase was, write the things which will take place after this. The word was metatauta. Write the things that will take place metatauta. He writes the letters to the churches, and then at the end of the letters to the churches, he uses that word again and says metatauta. After this, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and I heard a voice like the voice of the archangel, like a trumpet blast, saying to me, come up here. Is that not what we're all waiting for? The voice that calls us up through the open door? This just said, enter in to that chamber and then shut the door. Right? Enter in and then shut the door. And then witness God's indignation being poured out on the earth. Metatauta. Write the things that will take place after what? After the church. He writes seven letters. The, the, the span that occurs between metatauta and metatauta is seven letters to the churches. Write the things that will take place after this. After what? After the church. The church is going to be taken off from the earth. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. From that point forward in the book of Revelation, everything that John sees occurring on the earth is from heaven. He says, I was caught up in the Spirit unto the day of the Lord. That doesn't mean that he was deeply spiritual on Sunday, really feeling religious. It means that spiritually he was transported to the day of the Lord and experienced the day where the Lord takes the church into his presence and pours his wrath out on the earth. There's another little passage you can make note of, note takers, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, where the church is in heaven and they are all talking about how they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And the scholars all agree, all agree that because that is the church in heaven, then they've got to be in heaven before the start of the tribulation. Those that don't agree, agree based upon the fact 
that <clears throat> there are a number of manuscripts that don't contain Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. So they say, well, we don't know whether um, that belongs in that passage or not. Well, here's the deal with that. Every single manuscript that contains chapter 5 contains that verse. The ones that don't contain chapter 5 don't contain that verse. So every single manuscript, ancient manuscript of Revelation chapter 5 we have contains that verse where the church is in heaven saying they've been redeemed by the blood of Lamb. They're already there. They're not here on this earth. There's another proof text, and I'll try to end with this. This is my first of five closings. So, uh, <clears throat> the uh, redemption of the people. It, well, let's look at that. You know, let's go to Revelation. Um, Revelation chapter five, verse nine. They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, you have redeemed us to God by, our, by your blood out of every tribe and out of every tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And I looked and heard a voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 thousands of thousands. So this, this text, verse 9, how they sang the new song. No other <clears throat> believers other than New Testament Christians can say this. Follow this. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? So hell will not be capable of conquering my church. Unfortunately, in the book of Revelation, we are told that Satan is given power over the saints. During the tribulation, Satan is allowed to overpower believers, which must mean they're not part of the church. They're believers. They're going to experience salvation but they're not part of what Jesus, Jesus Christ classifies as the church. How are they going to experience salvation? Through death. Either through starvation, because they refuse to take the number of the beast, the mark on their hand or on their forehead, or they will be put to death, executed, having their heads cut off. So all of the saints are going to die during the tribulation. They'll, they'll be put to death by the Antichrist. The church is leaving before, before the tribulation. You know, all these people, you know, all the preppers that are going to survive the tribulation, right? There's no hiding on earth, right? The kings of the earth are going to bury themselves in the mountains and beg the mountains to fall upon them and to hide, the, hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. There's not going to be any hiding from God's wrath during that time. Every mountain will be destroyed and every island will sink. The earth is going to be in a state of upheaval like never before. When it says at the end of <clears throat> uh, Isaiah, where we just were, chapter 26, how the earth will no longer conceal its blood, the idea is that they won't be able to bury the dead. So, um, the earth will disclose her blood and will no longer cover her slain. Okay, That's recorded, I think, at least three times I can think of in the book of Revelation, how death will be occurring in such mass that they won't even have any capability of burying the dead. In the first three and a half years, one quarter of the world's population is wiped out, gone in the first three and a half years. And I, again, very repetitive. I've said it many times. That's all of South America, Central America, North America, and Western Europe's population gone. You can't dig graves fast enough at that point. You can't, you can't uh, incinerate bodies fast enough at that point. The stench, according to the scripture, the stench of death is going to fill the earth. 
You think, oh, that's an exaggeration. That's poetic. Uh, how many of you guys in 1992 remember Mount Pinatubo exploding in the Philippines, right? Massive volcanic eruption. Periclastic cloud 15 miles into the stratosphere. That thing puked out filth for five days as the globe continued to turn, right? Literally like an exhaust pipe just belching out all of this volcanic ash as it turned inside our own atmosphere. It filled the atmosphere with ash so intensely, it cooled the entire Earth's temperature by two degrees. That's one volcano. The stench of death filling the Earth. Any of you that have been in disaster zones like Hurricane Katrina or any of those, you come into those towns that have been devastated and it just smells like rot and decay. The whole town, everywhere you go. You, you cannot... You cannot unplug every refrigerator in a town for 10 days. You know what I'm saying? 11 feet of water flooded into Slidell, Louisiana. All the refrigerators floated right up inside those homes and drifted around and came to rest upside down and you know dumped out all of their contents and then just decomposed. Literally, everywhere you went at times, the breeze would just kind of waft along and you'd be like, Oh, wow, you know, just rot. I don't want to be here for any of that. I don't want you here for any of that. Don't be amongst those that don't recognize God's hand raised right now. Rather be amongst those who experience his perfect peace. Amen? Let the Lord bless you with his perfect peace. Well, we'll pick up at chapter 27 next week. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, we are so grateful for your great love and graciousness in our lives. Lord, help us to be people that draw close to you, who daily abide in you, that morning, noon, and night, we seek you. We find ourselves bound to you, obsessed with you. Give us your perfect peace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.